Okay, hello everybody and welcome to Investing with IBD sponsored by MarketSmith. Today is May 13th, 2020. I'm your host, Arusha Pierce, and with me today is Simon Erickson. Simon is a founder and CEO of 7investing.com. Thanks for being here, Simon. Hey, Arusha. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. On today's podcast, we are going to talk about the current market. And then in the second segment, we will go over some key metrics that Simon likes to look at to identify great growth ideas. And then we will end the episode with three current stocks. The market's in an uptrend, and we've had a tremendous run over the last uh, few, few weeks. And so a pullback is not a shock here. So you want to remain disciplined and manage your risk. Simon, what are your thoughts? Well, Arusha, first I should, I should comment that I'm a self-proclaimed growth-style investor, right? So I, yeah. I tend to think of this, you know, a hiccup in the market like this, not so much in terms of what does it mean for quarterly numbers or even 2020's numbers, but I see this as an acceleration of innovation, right? This is an opportunity for people who have been stuck at home uh, watching Frozen or whatever their kids <laughs> want to watch on a daily basis. How is that going to change the industries that, that all these companies are participating in? So, and so it's a very exciting time for the market because this is something that's really going to bring some of those best ideas out there to light. Yeah, it's, it's so true. I, it, the, the ones who haven't been slowly innovating over the last decade, they've they, they essentially been caught flat-footed, right? And, and all of a sudden their businesses might, might, have been, uh, might, might be in trouble right now. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a catalyst, right? I mean, the ideas have been there for a long time, but there really hasn't been a reason for a lot of people to adopt the things that, that are, have been in front of their face for so long. E even e-commerce, you know, something yes. like uh, shopping on Amazon still is, is far below half of retail sales in the United States. And that's including all the, the retailers that have an online presence. And so for those half of people that weren't shopping online that have been stuck at home, um, now this has been a wake-up call for them. And you just have to think of something like retail as well as every other industry out there. How is it going to change now that we, we've had to adopt or evolve like this? It's true. I mean, it, it really is kind of mind-boggling that the e-commerce is still a small percentage of retail sales. But now, as you said, more and more people have been forced to use it. And others, like us, we've been forced to use more Zoom <laughs> and to, to do these and work from home. And uh, luckily for, for Investor Business Daily, we transitioned a number of things uh, to the cloud over the last few years. So we've been able to use all or have our all our operations from home uh, pretty seamlessly. Uh, but uh, with with Zoom, I, I, at least for myself, it, it's it, I'm just blown away at how powerful uh, this software is and how 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 easy everyone can use it. It's a huge trend. I agree completely, Arusha. I mean, not only are you getting now a critical mass of users that have to use things like Zoom and, and other, a bunch of other technology software now, especially that that's cloud-based. But now that you have those users, I mean, what are they going to discover? What other products are they going to upsell now that they're starting to realize, okay, well, I never even realized I could do things like this before. I think tech's a big winner from, uh, from the coronavirus pandemic of this past couple months. For sure, and, and that's really one of the keys is once you get a, get a foothold into these customers, is now figuring some other services to upsell and, and to retain them better, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's the name of the game. Land and expand in tech software. <laughs> so Simon, how did you get into investing? Walk us through that path, what, what led you to uh, founding Simon Investing. 
Sure. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I guess the, the most interesting thing about my background is that my paycheck has always depended on looking into the future. Uh, <laughs> even, even going back to being a, a sales rep for a specialty chemical company that you know, was out there kind of looking at how markets were changing. Um, I was talking with product development guys in agriculture as they were kind of adopting organic farming. Um, wow. Then kind of went into the oil field as it was getting deeper and deeper water or doing cool things like hydraulic fracturing, stuff like that. Wow, but, wow. It, but it was always kind of tied, you know, getting out there, uh, renting the car, staying in a hotel room and seeing what was what was going on in the world. And then, you know, following that, uh, I took a job for one of the Fortune 10, you know, big oil company and was focused on uh, building out the renewable energy uh, program for them, which was really interesting because you had... Uh, really deep pockets, a lot of, lot of opportunity to do some really neat things, but you didn't want to mess up the equation right. for, uh, for what it looked like to be still in a oil company trying to figure this out. And, 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 and so, so you, you, were, you, you were finding yourself in, in really in the middle of all this innovation that was going on, what, five years ago with fracking and, and all the energy that was definitely happening down in Texas and, and, that, and the whole area down there, sure. right? Sure, yeah, and solar power was a, was a really big thing too, right? Like we, were, we would be doing the projects and trying to figure out the economics, and then we'd go out and, and solve the pain points by M&A, right, working with our, yeah. our corporate VC group. And uh, then just re recently, before, um, before Seven Investing, I was working for The Motley Fool. I ran a service called Motley Fool Explorer for four years, which was basically going out and finding those innovative trends and then figuring out what investments, what real money we could put to work uh, to, for, for the good of investors to invest in them. And yeah, and, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go, oh, yeah, sure. And, and, and so all of that really just kind of led me to, to Seven Investing, which is a company that we just launched here in, in March. Uh, so we're really excited about it, but it's kind of collecting all of this growth style of investing, all those innovative things that are really exciting going on in the world, making them real for individual investors and providing our very best ideas, seven of our best ideas every month for $17. We're really excited about where we're going. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it is great. I, I've read a bunch of your stuff over the years at The Motley Fool. And, and so it, it was really interesting to see you break off on your own, start your own company. But over the years, I, I, I've just enjoyed, uh, you know, your passion for growth investing, just like we have it here. So it, it was always fun to, to just get your take, take on really a lot of the same ideas we were looking at. Yeah, and Arusha, it's been really a pleasure for me too getting to chat with you. I know you and I both have a scientific background. I think you were That's a right. biology major, if I remember. <laughs> a very correctly. good memory. Yes. Yep. Yep. So it's kind of it's kind of that beauty of uh, of seeing investing as one part science and one part art. Uh, there is a need to to bust open the spreadsheets and you know crunch some numbers at times, but then there's also kind of this more qualitative um, aspect of investing. You know, where you're looking at. Uh, what what is your what is your manager or what is your your leader of this company doing? Are they investing in the right opportunities? It's it keeps it interesting every day, to say the very least. For sure, and and, and really does uh, with that everyday thing. You want to make sure you have your eyes open because you may be walking by the next great idea. You may see lines out the door, and and so you want to get really into that mentality of, hey, what is this company? Are they publicly traded? Let me look into it because clearly there's a demand for their services. Yeah, not only me, but I've got my wife with, with eyes on, on that stuff now, too. My two-year-old daughter, you know, she's, we're, we're working on her. We're getting there with her now. But, uh, yeah, I mean, investing is so much just what, what, are you, what are you doing as a consumer and how is a company taking advantage of that? That's perfect. And, and so now with Seven Investing, seven of the best ideas you're, you're looking for every month. Now, are there always seven great ideas out there? Or are you going to do are there, cause, or are there just a handful of great new great growth companies? Uh, out there? 
No, I definitely think that there's, there's a lot more than even seven great ideas every, every month. We, okay. we basically, the way that we structure it is um, I have a fantastic team, also great stock pickers that I work with. They're all advisors. And we basically task them with the same question every single month, which is, hey, what's your best idea? Yeah. And, and you know, we, we go out and we find those and we're not constrained to just growth style companies, just high risk companies. It could come from anywhere in the market. Uh, we had an, an international value based travel company. Uh, just last month, you know, which is very different than some of the, um, what, what people might expect that we're just looking at day in and day out. But it's, it's, a, it's a huge perspective. You know, I've got a, a, like I said, fantastic team looking at all sorts of different things. Cloud computing is a hot topic right now yep. for us. Artificial intelligence and biotechnology, but also uh, digital payments. I mean, the fintech industry is, is um, innovating very quickly right now. We're, we're trying to keep our pulse on what's going on in those markets. That's true. And, and it's, it, it's a little hard to understand, but, or even comprehend that the digital payments just might be at the very beginning of its move in, in this larger trend. It's only, I guess, at least for me, just only been a few years since I've just started to use the phone to pay or, or now the Apple watch. I, I, a lot of times I'll use it. And those are just kind of mind boggling things that I wouldn't have thought of even using three, four years ago. Yeah, and, and the personalization part of it too, right, Arusha? I mean, you've Absolutely. got, not only do you have like large governments, I mean, India has basically gotten rid of high denomination bills now and saying, you know, you need to use digital banking and, and cell phones to, to do transactions. But there's so much more information coming from a cell phone than there is from just handing somebody cash to pay for something. And this is a global phenomenon. We always tend to think of it in just in terms of, you know, the, uh, the credit card companies or the, the digital payments in the United States. This is something that's going on the entire world, billions of people. And it's really exciting time for that space, I think. Yeah, and talk about maybe another trend that's going to benefit uh, from this pandemic. You know, maybe people might be a little bit less reluctant, uh, you know, more reluctant to share cash back and forth now. And, and it seems like it's a little bit more sanitary to pay electronically. Yeah, absolutely agree. So the market is in an uptrend and we potentially could be starting a new bull market, but make sure you are managing your risk. Let's take a quick break. But when we return, we are going to look at some of the metrics that Simon likes to look at when trying to gauge the health of a great growth stock. Stay tuned. I am here with Scott St. Clair. Scott's one of our senior product coaches at MarketSmith. Now, Scott, there are a ton of publicly traded stocks just on the U.S. I think it's over 5,000 stocks. Who has the time to go through all these stocks and find the very best ones? Yeah, most people don't, right? So what you need is a tool like MarketSmith. We have decades of research on what makes a great winning stock. So we've done all the research for you. So we're going to try to highlight those specific stocks with those great data points. So if you're looking for that next great potential big winner, orange stock ideas button, you just click on it and you've got some of the main reports that we use, including the Growth 250. Yeah, and the Growth 250 is the first list that I go through on the weekends. Yeah, it's the most popular one, but there are others. There's the Breaking Out Today, Stocks Near a Pivot, and then the Blue Dot List, right, which is very popular. It's going to show you the stocks with the best relative strength. So we've done a lot of the work for you. What you have to do is review these lists. You're going to come up with some of the best ideas in that current market environment. Perfect. Mark Smith saves you time and makes investment research that much easier. For more information, go to Investors.com slash podcast 2020. Scott. 
Simon Erickson's our guest on investing with IBD sponsored by MarketSmith. Okay, Simon, let's get into some of the key growth metrics that you like to look at when gauging the health of a stock or the growth potential of a stock. And I think the first, uh, the best way to start off this segment is how do you define a growth style investor? Sure. Yeah, Arusha, great question, because I almost feel like there's a stigma against growth style investing that we're just going out there and uh, investing in the next headline or the next hot stock tip out there, right? Whether it's Bitcoin or whether it's marijuana stocks or whatever it is. <laughs> and, and, and I really wanted to just dispel that myth. Uh, you know, growth style investing, in my mind, just kind of looks at a different set of metrics than, uh, than maybe some traditional value-based investing does. And it's not saying that either one is, is you know, just value investors are just looking at spreadsheets and, and growth investors are just kind of taking the pulse of which way the wind is blowing. But, but for me, I, I think that it spends a lot more time looking at how markets are changing. Mm -hmm. And for me, the, the best opportunities are the companies from a growth perspective that are, that are aware of those changes and are actually actively investing in front of those changes. And so those are the kind of companies that I, that I look for. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and the way I usually describe it is we're looking for those companies that are going to change the way we work, live and play, right? They're, they're going to change the world. And we're all, we're all going to be using their services. Those, those are kind of those superstar stocks that we're always looking for. And, and it's just so funny how some of those stocks are just right in front of you because you're already using them. Yeah, let's talk about the, the MVP of the, of the biggest superstar growth company of all, Amazon, right? Absolutely. I mean, this is a company everyone's heard of. Everyone knows Jeff Bezos is, is a visionary manager, but let's, let's take this from an investor perspective. Right? Let's put our investor hat on and look at kind of some of the examples of why he does such a good job at this. Um, the example I like to tell is, is the acquisition of Kiva, you know, the robotics mm -hmm. company back in yeah. 2012. Uh, this was something that a lot of people didn't really understand uh, why Jeff Bezos was going out and spending $775 million on this cute little robotics company that had these little robots, you know, buzzing around in his warehouses, picking things up. They were saying, no, Jeff, you know, robotics are going to get a lot cheaper. This is way too ahead of the market. We, we don't think this is a great acquisition. Uh, five years later, you know, there were some numbers results on how the well those were doing. And he had deployed them in uh, 25 of his warehouses. Wow. in North America, and the average savings in operating expenses for each one of those warehouses was about $22 million per location. Wow, wow. And so you add that up, you know, it's $500 million in, in basically logistics cost savings every year. Today, uh, fast forward a couple more years, and, and Amazon's got more than 200,000 robots in, in basically all of its warehouses now, estimated between two and a half and $3 billion of logistical savings for something he paid $775 million on and was, you know, kind of a, a lot of people giving him a lot of uh, a hard time about that kind of acquisition. Right. But and so, what's, what's yeah. kind of interesting, though, too, Simon, is that uh, with that kind of being ahead of the curve, you have, you have the pandemic hit. And they were so well prepared. I mean, imagine Amazon wasn't as prepared. I mean, we're all depending on Amazon to get a lot of the essentials now. Uh, it, it, we could have been all in real trouble if Amazon wasn't really, you know, 10 steps ahead of everyone else. Yeah, and Prime, not to mention Prime. I That's mean, how right. much money has Amazon made just falling right to the bottom line because they're charging $129 a year for two-day shipping because he's now set the bar that high that everyone else is holding every other e-commerce company to. That's true. And, and really, even $129, uh, 
in my opinion, it, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good deal. I, I think it started at what, $79, right? Yeah, and they've been raising yeah. it and it's yep. still, you know, they're adding the Amazon video, Amazon music, all this other stuff. And, and now it's what one day shipping it, it, it's come down to for, for a lot of things. And so I, I that, that's probably one of the last things that I would ever even consider cutting these days because I'm just so addicted to, to Amazon. Yeah. And don't tell Jeff Bezos, but if he doubled the price of Prime to $250 a year, I, I would still pay it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. We may, maybe we should cut that from this podcast. <laughs> Don't listen to that, Jeff. <laughs> okay, so so we're looking for that innovation, being ahead of the curve. Now, what are some of those metrics that that will get some of these stocks on on your radar? Because that's a lot of times how we're going to stumble into some of these ideas. If it, if we don't see it in person, some of these ideas, we're going to be running screens for different kinds of metrics, and we're like, hey, this company is earning, making a killing. You know, what do these guys do? What, what, what are some of the metrics that, that you like to look at? Yeah, I mean, a good example of that, I think, is cloud computing, which is being talked about a lot right now. We, we were saying earlier on the program that tech's a big opportunity. And when you get into the nitty gritty and the trenches of what that means, yeah. um, you, can, you can really see you can, unit economics that are phenomenal for, for cloud-based companies. Uh, Arusha, one that I really like is a company called Viva Systems. Mm -hmm. uh, might not be familiar to everybody listening to the program, but kind of a life sciences cloud computing company. So if you can think about what Salesforce did for kind of monitoring how customers were responding to products, uh, they're kind of doing the same thing for drug makers responding to how hospitals and doctors are prescribing their drugs. And on the other side of that too, they're also kind of doing a lot of the regulatory and compliance things uh, behind, uh, well, they're still in clinical trials for those drug makers. Yeah, you, you mentioned earlier, Simon, that that I, I was a, a biology major. I actually did medical research right out of college. And so I was involved in a, a bunch of that research and there was a ton of paperwork. This was like 20 years ago, but I can almost guarantee you a lot of that stuff hasn't changed uh, since that, that time. And so when I heard about Viva and I started learning about these guys, I was like, wow, if they can do this, uh, they're going to capture that whole industry and make uh, life so much easier getting uh, some of these drugs approved. And, and they did. They, they did yep. capture the news. And Arusha, they should have had a sales rep. I guess 20 years ago was too early for them, but they should have had a sales rep calling on you for that too. <laughs> right, exactly. But you know what we do, the, the, back to the, um, you know, kind of the brass tacks on this, is, is we look at the, the subscription gross margin that they were making from selling their, their cloud-based products. Yep. And then we, we took out the upfront acquisition costs, right? So it cost them to pay sales reps to go out and call on researchers like you were just mentioning. Um, you got to pull that out up front. And then also taking out the ongoing process or the ongoing costs of, of R&D, of overhead, things like that. And when you discount all that to the present, um, from my numbers that I was crunching, Arusha, Viva was still landing something like a $2.3 million per customer in net lifetime value, which wow. is superior economics. You take that all day long if you can capture those. And so even though people were saying, oh, Viva is too expensive of a company, oh, it's the, the market is not large enough, it's too expensive in terms of a price to sales ratio, you dig into the nitty gritty, you see economics like that. And Viva has been an incredible stock to own for several years now. Yeah, and, and it, it makes sense too. It's, one, it's a switching cost, right? Once you get in that system, you're not going to leave that system for, for a competitor, even uh, uh, you know if they're only maybe even slightly better, right? You're used to that system. You, all your employees are used to it. it is, it's way too much uh, work to try to get off that system and switch to something else that may not be that much better. 
Absolutely. And Peter Gassner, you know, the founder and CEO of the company came from Salesforce, one of yep. the best cloud software developers in all of Silicon Valley, surrounds himself with experts that really knew the life sciences business. And, and they basically just talked to customers all the time and uh, incrementally kept improving the products. So just like you said, switching costs, uh, you have something that's valuable, you make it more valuable and more valuable. There's no reason to leave that company. They had something like 4% churn rate, which is incredibly high. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. And uh, now one, one thing, and I, I do own shares of Viva Systems and and uh, and it was after discovering some of these things that really just made a lot of sense. But one, uh, probably the, the biggest thing that stuck out to me and it's all Viva's always been at the top of my list is that uh, when when uh, the CEO left Salesforce, they, uh, they, they made a deal with Salesforce and Salesforce became a partner and not a competitor there. And I don't know how, do you, do you know how long that deal was? It was like seven, eight years uh, for they were just going to work. So Salesforce wasn't going to compete in that space. Do you, do you know the status of that? Because I've kind of lost track. Yeah, they keep renewing it too. I believe okay. the most current version is 2022. I want to say 2023, unless I'm not up to date on that. They've renewed it even farther, Arusha. Oh, but wow. oh, like awesome. you said, they've got a cloud partner, right? And Salesforce yep. said, we're not going to compete with you in life sciences, um, but we're going to provide the architecture. So it's a win-win for both of them. That's perfect. Okay, so so what other metrics do you, do you like to look at? That that that's a great one right there. Yeah, I mean the the one that's kind of the battlefield stock right now, which I'm I'm really curious to hear your opinions on this company too, Arusha. We did not discuss this in advance, so I'm totally springing oh, no, it on you're you. You're putting me on the spot now. <laughs> uh, but 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 the company that I have a huge interest in right now is Tesla, and wow. you know we talk a lot about Tesla. It makes a ton of headlines. Uh, Elon tweets a lot of stupid things that gets him in trouble, but at the end of the day, he is definitely. Um, I mean, he's an investor in his own company, right? He's he's going yep. out and he's doubled Tesla's R&D budget in three years. Um, he's investing in things that are completely different than what everyone else is doing, um, taking a completely different approach and is doing that in a way that wasn't going to pay off for him for, for several years. Uh, but if he's right, it could be that, that they get the lion's share of the profits. I mean, one of the things I've really been paying attention to has been the autonomous driving. Yep. Um, you know, Tesla is at a point that they are producing cash flows. They're rolling out 400,000 cars a year. Uh, they're going to be building more of them now here in, in China. Um, they could just be banking that money. But but no, what, what is Elon doing? He's going back and he's saying, we want to be first to full self-driving. Um, he's putting a lot of money into something that, that, that doesn't have a huge amount of traditional demand, but he's taking a big bet on the future that it's going to have. And I think that's that's very interesting angle that um, that he's really ahead of the pack for a lot of companies. Yeah. Uh, now I I own shares of Tesla too. It, it's always been one of my my favorite companies. Uh, but it, like you said, it's also been one of the most confusing uh, companies too. But I rem I still remember now. And those who've been listening to IBD for a while, they've heard this story. But the the way I, I found about Tesla was I saw the car in a showroom in Santa Monica. And I never seen a more beautiful car, and it was ninety thousand dollars, and they were selling out of them. I was like, "And this is electric." <laughs> I was like, "I was like, he might pull this off." It's like, if he pulls this off, this company is just gonna be unbelievable. Uh, so, so that that that's what really stuck in my head. Now, the other thing I think, and you mentioned this before, uh, he's a visionary. You know, he is. You know, yeah, he is kind of the the next. Uh, kind of taking the place of a Steve Jobs, right? Who, who just just sees things much further out, and even though it has it hasn't always been easy, and who knows, you, anything can still happen with Tesla. 
But if I have to bet one way or the other, I'm going to go with the visionary uh, because he's been able to pull it, pull it off many times before. And it, and I, I don't necessarily look at them as a car company. I look at them more as like an energy company. They're a battery company and they're going to just keep coming out with these technologies. And what was it? Maybe a, a couple months ago that some article came out, some of the other car makers said that they tore apart at Tesla and some of the components they were using were like seven years ahead. I don't know if that was a rumor or not, but I can believe it though, because he's coming more from a tech background than a car background. It's, it's absolutely true. And it started with the battery pack itself, you know, extending the life, uh, not lifespan, the, the drive, uh, the distance that you could drive on a single charge yep. uh, with the battery packs. But then, you know, the, the new thing has been really more about software because he's, he's charging people up front uh, for you to personally have full self-driving mode when it becomes available. But then on top of that, you know, you've got kind of these projects like the Tesla network is what we're referring to it now. That what if Tesla is just a concierge service that, you know, can deliver things or deliver people around and it, and it pays for itself. You can have a car pay for itself after a couple of years if you're willing to let other people ride around in it. Um, that's very different than what we've gotten used to, Arusha, where you, you drive your car 5% of the day and it sits in a parking spot for the rest of it. I, you know, after I heard kind of these concepts and, and, and uh, Elon Musk saying that you could, you know, just literally let your car just drive around and, uh, you know, just slowly generate money off of it. I, I, I look at my car just sitting in the garage. I'm just like, you lazy thing, get out there and work. Uh, but it is kind of crazy. Like, what a big waste just having a, a car just sitting there, you know, 95% of the time. Yeah, and, and you can raise the price too, right? If you, can, if you can convince people that, hey, there's enough demand out there that if you immediately plug your car back in, have it picking up people and it pays for itself in five years versus a depreciating asset that you know is, is de decreasing in value every year, um, man, that's a game changer. And that's why I think Elon is, is spending so much time on the autonomous opportunity. Yeah, and, and obviously that, that, that's one of just those monster, monster trends that whoever captures it, it it's kind of like the same way back in like 2000, 2001, when Napster was coming out and you know you had free music everywhere. And I remember thinking, if someone can figure out how to just capture this market and, and start to make a little bit of money on it, uh, they're, they're, gonna, they're gonna make a killing. And, and that company was Apple, right? They, they, they came and just captured it just for $1 per song and convinced all the music companies. So yeah, whoever is able to capture the the, the lion's share of this self-driving uh, trend that's going to happen. Who knows how quickly it's going to happen. Uh, you know, th that stock's just going to just uh, explode. I think it's a perfect comparison to Apple, actually, whose strategy was the same thing, right? Apple's was get the ecosystem, get, a, get an Apple iPhone in everybody's hand, and then take 30% of every third-party app that gets sold to that phone. You know, in the services, you know, the replacement plan and the, uh, you know, the iCloud backup and all that stuff. It's kind of the same thing that Tesla is doing now that if once they sell a car, uh, you, you buy, you pay extra for self-driving mode. Now, all of a sudden, they're getting a cut from everybody that takes a ride in that on the Tesla network. I mean, it's increasing the revenue uh, in a recurring way that, that Tesla is able to get from something that people are just referring to as, you know, a piece of iron, piece of steel, you know, hardware. Um, no, this is a this is a software company, you know, parading around as a, as a car company. That's true. That uh, that's a really good way to look at it. Now, I think the biggest question though with Tesla is, what are your thoughts on the Cybertruck? 
It's a, it's a tangential opportunity, right? I mean, Elon, at the end of the day, you've got some core components that could work for a lot of different vehicles. Elon can make some tweaks to the batteries for them, the features that show up for them. Obviously, truck is going to care more, more about torque, right? We're down here in Texas. We want to have something that's going to compete with the F-150 out here. Um, you know, they might not look at, at the Model 3, uh, but they might look at, at the Cybertruck or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we kind of joke when we look at... Um, ball bearings going through the windows and you know the, the demonstrations that, that elon does for these things but it's just kind of how he thinks about things elon is an engineer um that is is constantly perfecting things he's, he's incrementally improving things and it's okay to come out and demonstrate something that's not perfect because he's got a different way of thinking about the auto industry than the oems have for decades yeah and and a lot of times it really is that 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 person who's coming from the outside thinking in a different way that can completely upend an industry, you know, and just completely blindside everybody. Yeah, I agree. And, and so, you know, kind of, we've heard a lot about Amazon and Tesla over the years, obviously two incredibly performing companies, Viva also an incredibly performing company, but at the heart of all of those, you still got to look at the unit economics. You still have to do your investing homework um, and, and look at those, not only market-based metrics, but also the operating metrics to make sure that they're not just lighting money on fire. They're doing this in a way that, that makes sense for you as a shareholder. Perfect. So having a key set of metrics to help gauge the health of a stock and the, its prospects is critical to investment success. Coming up next, Simon and I will discuss a few ideas. Stay tuned. I'm here with Scott St. Clair, and Scott is one of the senior product coaches at Market Smith. Now, Scott, we've both been doing this for a long time, and we know that investment research takes a lot of time. There's so many factors that you want to look into to try to figure out that whether this is a stock to buy or not. Quarterly earnings, huge sales growth. Hey, are institutions buying it? The list goes on and on. Yeah, it's a common question. I hear it all the time. I don't have time to, to do this work. So you don't have to spend that much time. If you have a tool like Marcus Smith, we do a lot of that work for you. Right there on the chart, earnings, sales, group strength, institutional sponsorship, like you just mentioned. Right. It's all there in the chart. So it allows you to make a decision much easier. Yeah, and the beauty is that we have in-house analysts that go through the SEC filings. They pull out those numbers, and they put it right on the markets chart. And all you have to do is analyze them. Yeah, I couldn't imagine having to go to the SEC website and look at the income statement, et cetera. That sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, and, and, and that would take hours and hours. And in that time, you can go through hundreds of stocks and find the best ones. So don't miss out on a big winner because you don't have enough time to research it. For more information, go to Investors.com slash podcast 2020. We are back with Simon Erickson on investing with IBD sponsored by MarketSmith. Okay, Simon, let's get into a few ideas. And uh, the first stock that we're going to talk about is Illumina, ticker symbol I-L-M-N. And so what do you like about these guys? Well, well, for me, Arusha, kind of the softball right down the middle right now is healthcare for investors, yep. right? Like, like if we're going to take a swing, let's take on something that's easy because America alone is spending $3 trillion with a T on healthcare wow. every year. I mean, wow. th there's so many opportunities to, to save money and to improve the outcomes in that field. And I think that the, the, the overall big trend to watch here is, is, the, is the focus on being more objective. 
right? We're less subjective where we're just kind of having patients coming in who are sick, diagnosing symptoms and saying, okay, this is what I recommend to just being much more objective saying, hey, here's exactly what I see that we should be treating um, you as a patient, as an individual rather than just subjectively. Yep. And, and so for me, this is, this is kind of what we're calling personalized healthcare is the trend in this $3 trillion industry in America that we know as, as healthcare. And I think that, that one really big winner from this trend is, like you said, Illumina, who is the leader in genomic sequencing. They control more than 90% of the world's high throughput genomic sequencing, wow. which, is, which is basically reading your DNA, right? And um, this can kind of go in two different ways. Um, there is a, a genetic angle and a genomic angle. Um, they're not the same thing. They sound the same and they're used interchangeably. But genetics is kind of your DNA that you're born with from the time that you're born. Mm -hmm. uh, you have certain risk factors that are good to know when you're, when you're young because you might be at risk of developing a disease later on. And the genomic side of it is more about characterizing diseases that are already out there right now. And so, Arusha, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the coronavirus is a perfect example of this right now. You, know, you said you're a biology major. You know, virus is basically just genetic code wrapped in a protein that you can now learn about right. uh, on, on how you want to treat something like that. And Illumina's machines were used from a genomic perspective uh, for the coronavirus and, and all the progress that the medical community is making on that right now. So, so that's my company at, at the highest level. I think there's a lot more genomic sequencing out there. Uh, this is something that when the Human Genome Project was completed back in 2003, it cost $3 billion um, to sequence all 3 billion base pairs of DNA of, of a human being, whole genome sequence. And today you can do that for $850. Uh, <laughs> that includes the depreciation of the machines themselves. Um, amazing. Amazing. That's just incredible. Yep. The, and, the and, and so it, it's 850 now, but they think within a matter of years, it could be $100, right? Yeah. And so it keeps, it keeps going down, right? And so you learn more. Every, every time that price drops, you've got more volume coming online. A couple of years ago, we learned about, about Ozzy Osbourne and how he is still alive after five decades of rock and roll. Uh, it is in the genes, by the way. Spoiler alert. He's kind of a superhuman. Oh, <laughs> I didn't realize that. <laughs> but, but, you know, you can learn things about patients, too. Um, you know, uh, Ozzy's a special case. We can talk about that over a couple of beers sometimes. But, <laughs> but, but really, you know, when you're treating patients, this objective healthcare, this personalized healthcare, you have to have the data first. Yep. And you want the most reliable, lowest cost provider that you can count on because the accuracy is everything in healthcare. And Illumina is really going to be an, an even big winner from this trend. Yeah, so so ninety percent of the market, and and uh, and this market is just only getting this trend is only getting started, really. Yeah, and and you know from a luminous perspective, about seven hundred of that eight hundred fifty dollars is the consumable reagents, so the okay. the uh, recurring revenue stream, if you will, that they get yeah. from every one of those those sequences that is done. And as you just, I mean, Arusha, we're at a, it's this exponential growth that you're seeing right now in the volume of whole, whole genome sequences being done. So that's just providing Illumina with a ton of cash. They're deploying that into pushing the price even farther down and staying even farther ahead of their competition. Um, that's, that's tough to compete against a company with that kind of advantages. It is. Now, the, the stock has only, has gone sideways for the last couple of years. Uh, were there any specific reasons uh, for that? Is it just they're just uh, maybe not meeting those expectations or just taking on a lot of costs to try to really prepare for the longer uh, long term future? 
Funding. Uh, more than anything, okay. it's been funding. So, so one of them is at a government level. There's population genomics projects going on in the US, in China, in Scotland, you know, and across the UK. A lot of those kind of got pushed back or delayed, which is okay. kind of something that uh, has, has kind of stopped a lot of that high throughput stuff. And the other one was they were kind of expecting a lot more from the direct-to-consumer uh, testing. You know, mm. so this is kind of like the 23andMe's, right. uh, the, the uh, uh, well, an, well, was an, Ancestry.com, Ancestry right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, stuff like that. You know, those were something they were expecting a lot from. They didn't really materialize. It turned out there were a couple of people. This isn't full genome sequences. These are genotypings, but they're still using a lot of those same sequencing machines. Um, so part of it was market-based. Part of it was timing-based. I, I still think that long-term, this is a trend you have to pay attention to. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, this all of just personalized healthcare, that, that's only getting started. And people are going to be wearing the wearables, just like the watch and all this stuff to uh, just keep monitoring your health. And honestly, even the, the generations younger than me, I, they're much more willing to uh, put all their data in, uh, you know, what watch what they're eating, all this stuff, and they're, they're logging it in. So it would just be a natural kind of uh, trend for them just to now start putting a lot of their uh, healthcare metrics into some kind of app or start collecting it using like an Illumina or, or some of these other uh, products that are coming out. It's fascinating to see some of the stuff going on right now. You know, Arush, I know you're in, you're in Southern California. There's a company down there that I talked to called Luna DNA, which yeah. is working uh, on putting healthcare data onto a blockchain. So it's anonymous, wow. you know, wow, wow, wow. It, it is, uh, they take privacy extremely serious. But, you know, something like that where you can strip away the personal information and share the outcomes can help medical people connect the dots incredibly well uh, if you have enough data points to do something. And they'll compensate you for sharing that kind of information. Um, you, so not only are you getting money out of that, but you're also helping research to, to cure some of those very serious diseases. It's amazing to see the progress that's, that's being opened up just by more data. Yeah, and and, and so you 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 spoke about this blockchain because that's another huge trend coming up, uh, or or just starting to happen. Do you see any companies in the blockchain field that is they're they're making progress in the healthcare field to start capturing some of this and, and say, hey, we'll we'll maintain all this critical uh, healthcare data. There's, there's a lot of them. You know, I, I, I like Luna. That's the one yeah, that I, so I guess Luna's I know the, okay. the best. And they're a privately traded company. I, yeah. I think that, you know, that's not a publicly traded uh, equity right now. But, you know, they got funding from Illumina. Um, they're making some really good progress on how many people are coming out. They're figuring out what the market's worth for what people are willing to share and what they would demand for compensation for something like that. But, but healthcare is, is showing that it can be a market just like Amazon. Right. Amazon is we're sharing um, or, or eBay. E eBay is probably a better example than Amazon. But, you know, you can share things uh, or sell things on eBay, just like you can share healthcare information for the right price. And we're starting to see stuff like that really get interesting. Um, digital payments. Uh, you know, this is another in interesting opportunity for blockchains of if you are doing business with the same people uh, time and time again, and you're using a credit card to do that, and you're paying 300 basis points. Does that make sense when you can save all of that and just pay a monthly fee uh, to use a blockchain that charges you nothing? Wow. You know, for the same kind of, right. you know, for some companies that is tens of millions of dollars right now. Yeah. Uh, or even, even if you're, if you're comfortable with, with using credit cards, if you're paying with checks, um, we were talking about exchanging money and, and checks earlier on the program, yeah. Yeah. something like that. They think about all the processing time and costs for doing something like that versus just making it super simple. There's opportunities there too, I think. That's uh, yeah. That, I mean, that, that really is uh, in incredible. And that, that's a whole other conversation right there. Uh, let, let's go to the second stock 
on the list here. And this is uh, Roche Holdings. And the ticker symbol here is RHHBY. And uh, you know, what, what, uh, what, what's interesting about these guys? Yeah, so Roche is a drug maker, but I, I, the, the thing that actually attracts me about Roche was, was um, an acquisition they made two years ago of a company called Foundation Medicine. And Foundation Medicine, what they were doing was the genomics angle of what we just described, which was characterizing uh, cancerous tumors. Right? So you have um, tens of thousands of patients that have gone through treatments, treatments for cancer. There's data from all of those of what right. those cancerous tumors look like. And how can you characterize those and put it in a database so that if you see that in the future, how can you diagnose that in a way that would make sense for that particular patient? So not only do we know uh, what type of tumor it is, because a company like Foundation Medicine, now part of Roche, can characterize that and tell you, but you also know a lot more about the patient themselves, what is their genetics, what are they at risk of, what kind of drug would work the best for them. Um, things like this are improving the outcomes for healthcare. And there's nowhere in healthcare that's more important than oncology, where we've gotten used right. to you know, patients coming in stage three, stage four cancer. Um, that's very, very serious. But if you can catch something like that in stage one or stage two, um, it's a completely different ball game and you can really improve survival rates. And, and so the diagnostics, the companies that are, that are characterizing and pointing out those things earlier and earlier that are life-threatening or very serious for patients, um, huge amount of value, not only for the healthcare system in general, but also for investors. Yeah, and also with collecting all this data, now you have the ability to use artificial intelligence to go through these, well, I don't know how many bytes of data, trillions of bytes of, of data and, and pinpoint and, and figure out solutions like that. And, and, and really, I, I, I think I remember reading about how that they're, they're collecting data with all these doctors just kind of putting how they treated these, uh, treated whatever situations they, they were in and you almost have this collective intelligence there where now all of a sudden you, someone in another country might have treated that exact same thing and you have access to, to that solution. Yeah, the AI aspect is huge, right? How many articles can you read, bedtime reading as a doctor? There's a limited right. number. Right. How, much, how many of those can an AI engine read? You know, and that's why you saw IBM go after this really early on with Watson and you know, a lot of other cloud companies and, and AI providers go after the same opportunity because they knew healthcare, there was a ton of money um, as, as a size of prize for this, but you have to make sure that it's accurate because lives are at stake and you have to win over doctors that have been doing things a certain way for decades right. and trained on, on ways for decades uh, to make a switch. But we're, I think we're at the tipping point. I'm starting to see a lot of uh, convincing evidence that, that uh, the biomarkers and the, the uh, liquid biopsies and the things that are now um, were academic in nature yeah, a couple of years ago, now actually getting uh, actually clinical evidence, you know, and being adopted by actual hospitals. It's um, really encouraging. Yeah, and, and you, you very well, once you, you get enough adoption, you could see that hockey stick uh, kind of start happening where all of a sudden it just explodes, kind, kind of like mobile phones. You know, it, it wasn't that long ago that we, all, we didn't have mobile phones. I still remember that, but now you can't even imagine uh, ever being without a mobile phone. And so maybe we're on that kind of tipping point right here uh, for diagnostics and AI and just this huge convergence uh, where we can really see some dramatic solutions that we couldn't even imagine uh, only a few years ago. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So let's go to the final stock. And the final stock is uh, Beijing. And uh, ticker symbol is BGNE. 
E. And uh, what what's interesting about uh, this stock and company? The name, obviously, right? Yes, Beijing. Exactly. How awesome of a name is that? <laughs> Uh, I actually talked to John Euler, you know, the, the founder and CEO of Beijing about this at a conference a couple of years ago. He's got a great story on how they landed on that name. I think it's incredibly uh, catchy when you, when you have a company that's named Beijing based yeah. in China, of You're course. Right. Um, this is one that's off most people's radar, Arusha. You know, this is something that, um, yeah, it's, it's uh, catching name aside, I think they're doing some very serious science. They're partnering with some really big companies. This is uh, a biopharmaceutical company. They are using, they're basically developing uh, cancer busting drugs so that now that we have that personalized healthcare information, uh, we now are using genomics to start characterizing what those tumors look like. We can now start developing the drugs that are used to um, address those. And Beijing is doing that. And just like the data advantage we talked about for Amazon, for Illumina, it's the same thing for Beijing and China. Uh, because they have partnered with so many large hospitals out there in China. Um, there's so many more patients, four to five million I mean, I expected oncology patients in China. That's twice what the United States or Europe has. Wow. Um, when you think about the number of beds in some of those hospitals and the, the, the number of um, hospitals that are in China is just you know five times, seven times larger than there is in the United States. You have patients that are more than willing uh, to try some of these drugs, you know, as they're 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 battling cancer at the time. It's very serious for them. Right. And China, of course, is very interested in innovation and really a company like Beijing, which is started by an American person. Uh, John is, is from, you know, the Northeast United States. Moving out there to China, really like the opportunity. Uh, he's got some really smart people around him. He's partnered in the past with Celgene, has now recaptured um, full control of the, of the product that he was developing with MPD-1 inhibitor they were developing with, with Celgene. Now he's teaming up with Amgen. So he's got some big name partnerships. Yeah. He's got data. He's got a market that's very captive. Uh, this is one that I think that, like I said, is off the radar for a lot of investors. Yeah, and, and they, they came public uh, in 2016. So they, they haven't been around even, even for a while, but they, they went on a, a, a pretty amazing run in 2017. And it looks like they've just been going sideways for a couple of years. They might be setting up to, to go higher as, as all of this innovation is just slowly building and the market might be behind the story. Yeah, I mean, so much of it was development work at first, right? They raised some money because they had the partnerships, they wanted to start developing some drugs. And now you're starting to see the fruits of their labor, right? Ticilizumab, one of their big, their key drugs is in phase three, already approved for Hodgkin's lymphoma. Now we're starting to see um, phase three trials for that for uh, non-small cell lung cancer, which is another serious indication, 23 other indications in late stage evaluation right now. Um, when you get a hit with something like that, you develop with big companies and it starts catching on, you unleash your marketing team um, to commercialize the heck out of drugs like that. And, and that's kind of where we are with Beijing. That's, that's really, really fascinating. Uh, so there are a few ideas that are worth adding to your watch list. Thanks, Simon, for joining us today. Uh, Arusha, it was my pleasure. I, I always love chatting with you and this was really a lot of fun. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks. Next week, we are going to have Joe Fami returning to the show. He is the managing director of Zor Capital. So that's it for this week on Investing with IBD. I'm Arusha Paris, and thanks for listening. And for this week's Nilton Charts, make sure to go to Investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. 
You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.